What's up, y'all? This is another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we've got a, another track session from Mercy Multiplied. This is your final track session. If you haven't been listening to the last three episodes, you might want to skip back and listen. They had some incredibly insightful things to say just about discipling people from kind of a different perspective that I've heard. Like this episode is about safeguarding yourself as you're discipling others. If you're somebody who maybe struggles with codependency and can get in situations where you're kind of the only one that somebody can really relate to in your church, that can kind of be a bad thing. And I can speak from experience that that's kind of a hard thing to untangle. This episode was fantastic as they talked about having good, healthy boundaries and also ways that you can kind of treat yourself, as they say, to stay mentally healthy and alert. All right, let's jump in and hear from Mercy Multiplied's last track session. This is Melanie Wise and Marshall Gallagher. Let's listen. Okay, friends, it is one of two. So we are going to get this party started. So I've shared this at our other sessions. The content that we have been sharing in our breakout here, in our track session, all is coming from a workshop that we do called Empower. Um, And it is just the core training that we offer to churches. And so we have kind of broken it out into these four sessions. I will say that when we typically do our workshop, which is a whole weekend long thing, people, this is the session we always say for the end. And people often leave saying that this was probably the thing they needed the most. Now, sometimes I think it's because it's the last thing they heard and they just don't remember anything else from the weekend. So that's probably also very true. Um, And this is one of the last things you all will hear. So you might say the same thing. But this for us is like it is so vital for people who are in ministry, people who lead others, disciple others, that you yourself have built and established the things that you need in your life so that you stay healthy you stay safe. You don't burn out in Jesus' name, okay? Like that you are set up for the long haul and you are able to maintain a place of health so that you are safe and healthy for the people that you're serving and discipling. So that's what this whole session is about. You're not going to really learn any discipleship tools or keys. And if that disappoints you, you are welcome to find another session if you're like, that's not what I'm here for. This session is really going to be about you and about how you are taking care of you. It's not all just going to be self-care and go to a spa. It's going to be very much about, like, what are you building around your life so that you are healthy for the long haul in this whole process? Um, So we're going to start with what I think is, like, our favorite thing to talk about, or it is at least mine, and that is boundaries. Uh, Have you all read Cloud and Townsend's book, Boundaries? Show of hands of who has not read Henry Cloud and John Townsend's Boundaries, I give you full permission to pull out your phone right now, go to Amazon, and order it. If you do it, I'll be really excited. Uh, But uh, this, so much of what we're about to jump into comes straight from their work. Not only do you need to get that book, just get every book they've ever written. They've written a lot. It's gold. We use so many of their resources in our program. It's fantastic. The book boundaries changed my life. I will get to that a little bit later. But so much of kind of where we're headed, we have pulled straight from them, ripped it right off of them. They're our friends. Well, John Townsend is, at least. So we feel like he gives us permission to do this. Um, But typically, this is the reason this one is so important is that people who are leading, discipling, helping others are often people who have big old hearts. And they just want to help the whole world. 
and they just want to take on all the things and fix everything that is wrong and everything that is dark. And it is very, very, very challenging for people who do what probably most of you in this room do to establish healthy boundaries. And, and so many times as you're doing that and as you're doing ministry and discipling others, it, it, it ends up becoming to the detriment of your own health, your own family, your own spiritual walk with the Lord. And that is not what I think the Lord had in mind when he called you into ministry in whatever capacity you have. So why we talk about this is because we, we own our own lives. We are responsible for our lives. We are responsible for our own freedom and for our own health. And so these are the kinds of things, boundaries are the things that guard your soul in a really good and healthy way, okay? We'll, we'll get into really what that means. But part of taking responsibility for our lives is knowing what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for in the lives of other people. And so this is in your little notes there, but boundaries as defined by Cloud and Townsend are invisible fences that define where my property begins and where my property ends, in other words, where my responsibility for the people I'm discipling begins and where my responsibility for those people ends. And so we're going to really kind of flesh that out over the next few minutes together. Um, I'll let you take. All right. So, so in your packets there, that first, uh, those first two blanks, you were responsible to others, not for others. The updated one. And by updated, we well, mean. Well, the real one. Uh, I wrote. <laughs> We have done, we've taught this for years, y'all, years. And that's always been the quote that we pulled from Cloud and Townsend. I pulled out my boundaries book the other day and I was like, that is not the quote. <laughs> that's not what they said. Uh, it's very close, but it's not the same thing. Their actual quote from the book is, you are responsible to others and for yourself. Same difference, kind of. But I'm like, I've literally been misquoting them for years now, so I feel bad. Either way, it works. Yeah, the idea, yeah, the yes. idea that they're... Um that you and a lot of times I'll think of this you can control you you can't control others um, there's lots of different ways we can do it and obviously like your responsibility to a person you're in a relationship with will change very much so spouse children um, it, it will talk about Galatians here of kind of like and I know the the real like heart in their sleeve helpers are already like but what about Jesus telling us to love people right and we'll we'll get to that Paul helps us but uh, I was thinking this metaphor even when I preached through this section uh, somewhat recently is uh, going on a trip with my kids uh, I can be responsible I'm probably I have elementary school kids and so they'll have their little backpack with like their books. Um, we don't make the 18-month-old carry his own books and backpack and stuff. But I'm, I'm the dad, like, in the airport with, like, eight things of luggage that I'm pulling everybody's weight. Um, because they're kids. And, and I'm, I'm responsible in that way. If I go on a trip with my worship leader and I need to carry his luggage through the airport, someone has not established, like, good, healthy boundaries because they've just been carrying his stuff all through life. And that's a very silly kind of thing, but that just highlights like there are different levels of responsibility to different people in our lives that's why i think boundaries get really tough is because you do have to employ wisdom uh to a lot of this stuff so back to kind of uh what paul writes to the galatian church um he says uh, galatians 6 he, in verse 2 he says carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of christ so we we see that right like christ is taking on our burdens 
Um, he even says to take his on because it's easy and light. Um, but so that, that Greek word there, uh, burden, is an excessive weight. Something that's too much to bear for a single person. And so when, when he says carry each other's burdens, he's referring to the kind of things that are overwhelmingly burdensome for one person. Something that, that's outside the ability for somebody else to reasonably carry. Um, and so this could be like in a situational time frame, right? Like, hey, th- this crisis situation, I need to lean in and help carry someone else's burden. Or it could be you know, something that's overwhelmingly extreme and for a period of time you can help them along or, or, or walk with them. Uh, and so it's what they cannot do for themselves. And that's really where our sacrificial love and care can come in to where say, I will, I'm going to bear some of that cost for you. Right. And I think we'd all resonate with it. But right after three verses later, Paul writes, each one should carry their own load. And so it's like, well, which one guy? Uh, and so he, but he uses a different word there from burden and load. There's two different words in, in Greek. And so that load is like the normal weight and responsibility that someone ought to walk with. Um, and so that could be, uh, again, like it's that demarcation of what is your responsibility and what is someone else's responsibility. Uh, we can try all day long to be responsible for someone else's choices or growth, uh, we're, but we will exhaust ourselves especially when we attach ourselves to that and try to kind of get in and either play Holy Spirit or just try to control something that we have no ability to control because there's a boundary there for those people. And, and, you know, it could be people's attitudes or behaviors or feelings or things like that. It's just the things that, again, like would say, this is where Melanie exists and I don't. And so I, I don't need to try. Melanie needs to carry her load. I need to carry my load. Um, situationally, however, like there are burdens that we can share with one another. So that hopefully that just kind of starts to draw out and give permission. Like, hey, like this is as biblical as you can get sacrificial love while each person should carry their own love. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really helpful in their book when they really broke down like, okay, so what is my load for myself? And, they, and some of the things that you said, and I, I have them written down of, of my feelings, my attitudes, my beliefs, oh, y'all are right now. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should go slow. Uh, my behaviors, my choices, my values, my thoughts, my desires. Those are my load, my responsibility. What does that mean? Other people's choices, behaviors, beliefs, attitudes, values, thoughts, desires are not my load to carry. What does that actually mean? It means that I can believe what I want to believe about political and social issues, and it is not my responsibility to change yours. Can I get an amen? Amen. I would say, like, it means that I, if my kids are in desperate need of some quality time with their mom, I can, and I literally did it this week, tell the children's pastor at our church that I can't take over for her this week when she asked if I could because I need to be with my kids. That is a value that is important to me. They need some time with me. I've been a crazy person this week, and I need some time with them, right? It means that if I am the pastor or a leader of a ministry, 
I can lead that ministry in the way that I believe God has called me and encouraged me to lead that ministry. And if people don't like it, that is okay. Like, they don't have to stay. But also, in, in the context of what we're talking about, it means that when we are helping other people, we can love them and encourage them. I love, you are responsible to others. I'm responsible to love you, to encourage you, to speak truth to you, to maybe challenge you to do those. I am responsible to do those things. But what happens on the other side of that, how you receive it, what you do with it, if you take it, if you pick it up or not, that is not my responsibility. And y'all, I don't know, I just, when I think about my years in youth ministry, if I could have really believed that, because I honestly took it on myself, if these kids in this ministry are not changing, that's on me. If they're not doing well, or I'm discipling a young woman and she goes off, like veers off the road, that's on me. No, it's not. I did my part. I was responsible to love, encourage, speak truth, and be there but I'm not responsible on the other end for what happens out of that. And so I really think at the end of the day, boundaries position the people you're discipling to take responsibility for their own life. And you need them to do that. You need them to take responsibility for their healing, for their growth. You're going to support them and be there for them whatever way God calls you to be. But what ends up happening with that is their responsibility and their load. And that is a very, very, very freeing thing for you. I hope and pray that that would allow you to just like sleep well at night. Mm -hmm. Saying like, I did my part. I did my part. Now the other person has to do their part. Um, A couple of things that I will say. uh, These are a couple of myths that they mentioned in the book boundaries. If I set boundaries, I will be hurt by others. Is there a chance that when you set boundaries with people, that they are not going to like it? Yeah. Yes. 100%, I can pretty much tell you most all the time. In no situations that I know of have I ever had to set a boundary with someone and they're like, I'm so glad that you just did that. I've been thinking that our relationship wasn't healthy either, so I'm so glad that you've made this. No, they don't yeah. want it. Uh, that happens to me all the time in this organization. I'm about to go on vacation, we're supposed to have this thing next week. And I was like, I could totally make it. It's not my full-time job. I don't consider like just a, few, a little bit of time with Mercy is this. That's not what I'm taking a vacation from. And they're like, no, we do boundaries here. You are on vacation. <laughs> they, they like really come at me hard. I'm like, I, no, my other, like I'm a pastor and this it's is for like your soul, fun Marshall. stuff. But they're like, oh, you know, you don't. Yeah, so. <laughs> but, but truly like. There are people that if you if you're already thinking of people that are like, oh, I've been doing, I've been carrying more than I'm supposed to carry with this person, and you have to have a conversation about anything that has to shift in your relationship, the system resists change. They're not gonna like it. Okay, they are probably going to use any sort of manipulative, angry tactics to get you to, to kind of bend or give in on that. Here's the thing: what's awesome about boundaries is that you're not responsible for how they respond. You just do the right and loving thing. You're being good to people. Y'all, you're being good to people when you set healthy boundaries with them. If they don't like it, that is okay. That that is their load. Okay, so you can allow that to happen. We don't have the power or the right to control how people feel about our boundaries. That's not even your right. It's not even being good to them to try to make them be okay with it. Then the other myth is if I set boundaries, I will hurt others. And we would always, always, always say that boundaries may cause discomfort we would say maybe sometimes boundaries even hurt, but they never harm. They are the good and healthy and right thing to do. 
They protect your heart, they protect your life, and they actually do protect the other person's as well. I love this next quote. Okay, do I have any people in the room who are squirming a little bit because they feel like this sounds mean? Like this is harsh? Honest. Come on. There are, some, there are some people in this room that are like, I can't do this. This feels so mean. Oh, you know? Okay. They're not getting there are a few of these. Yeah, they're, they're, they're setting a boundary. Yeah. We, we know you're out there. It's okay. I am one of them. Okay. So I'm on this, like, I, for those of you who haven't been at the other sessions, I have small children. Okay. I have a one year old and three year old. I'm on all the parenting things and I get all the emails. And there's somebody that I follow. Her name is Dr. Becky Kennedy. Anybody know Dr. Becky around here? It's probably okay. nobody has toddlers then, because if you do, you probably know who she is. So, um, she sent one of her e-blasts out, and in the subject line, it said this thing, do you feel guilty when you set a boundary? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And then I saw the first line of the email, and it said, it's not, that's not guilt. It's someone else's disappointment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hold on a minute. And so then, of course, I fell for the whole thing. Watched the, the video, and then I bought the course. And yeah, no. <laughs> I watched the video that came with it, and she really broke this down. And I just thought, it was, I was like, we have got to bring this in when we talk about boundaries. So she said, like, when we make a decision that is in accordance with our values and with what we believe is right and someone else is upset, we often will tell ourselves, oh, I feel so guilty. But more often than not, it's because they are disappointed and you are taking on that disappointment. And so the example that she used, which this is just a fun one because mother-in-laws are great targets, right? She's like, you got kids. And your mother-in-law wants to see your kids, like, next weekend. She's like, oh, I've had a hard week. I want to see, you. I want to see the kids on Saturday. And you know, like, we need a, we need a calm Saturday. And, I mean, my, my mom is here with us this week. I don't know what happens to my children when my mom comes in the house, but things get crazy, okay? So, like, maybe mom wants to see the kids on Saturday. You're like, this is not a good Saturday for us. We've had a crazy week. We need a very, like, low, like, this is for the good of my kids and my family. Saturday's not a good day. And then mom and mother-in-law comes back and is like, what do you mean? I can't see my children. They're the light of my life and I need need my grandchildren on Saturday, right? And what do you often do? I'm not saying all y'all because some of you clearly don't care. People don't like your family. But some of you are like, oh, this feels mean. I really want to see them. And so either you give in and you're angry about it or you just give in and everything just kind of falls apart and your Saturday is horrible and you didn't actually do what was in accordance with your values and so what she literally encourages you to do is when when you feel the disappointment of another person because you have set a boundary she's like you need to let the owner of that feeling own that feeling and so she's like if you need to physically put your hands out and say that is not my feeling <laughs> this is very there's this very psychology feeling right now. Uh-huh. But like, I mean, you, I, I wouldn't do it in front of the person because that would be weird. But like, <laughs> maybe metaphorically in your mind, just be able to be like, I'm going to let you own that feeling. And you're allowed to. Because here's what's beautiful about that. When I can say you're allowed to be disappointed and say, then you're able to actually respond with empathy. If you don't let them own their feeling and you start taking it on, you're going to respond with defensiveness like, well, ah, ah, you know, it's like, don't make me feel bad. You know, like, I need to do this. Or you're going to be like, okay, fine, you give it, you know. So it's like when you can let them own it, you actually can respond with so much more empathy. And you can just say, hey, I hear you. You wish you could see your grandkids on Saturday. It makes sense that you're disappointed. You are allowed to be disappointed. 
we're not going to get together on Saturday. <laughs> you know? And so it's like, you can actually say, what about next week? Or whatever, you know, but you can actually respond and allow them to feel the way they need to feel or want to feel. That's their load, okay? Your load is making decisions in accordance with what you believe is right and good. And so I just, I felt like that was very, very helpful to me is like who owns this feeling and let them own it and it is okay it is okay if people do not like it um so yeah yeah for those of you who struggle with that hopefully that was helpful <laughs> uh it, it, you know it's like all right do you need to establish clear boundaries with anybody and and it's almost like okay who did you write down on your notes there or something like who in your head is like yeah i need to kind of clarify or set boundaries like or begin that process so there there's some mm. tips uh, it, so it says, first, be sure you have a strong support system for yourself. Uh, you need to depend on others to help you set and keep those boundaries. So maybe that's your spouse. Like, hey, I know that I am too weak to tell my mother-in-law not to. I need, I need you to step in here and, and you know, make sure I set this boundary. Or just be there when it's like, oh, that was really hard. So this is not to say this isn't hard. And having that support system is huge who will say, no, remember, this is what you want, kind of, you know, nudging you back into that place. Um, pray for the person in the situation before you have the conversation. If you know this is likely going to make them feel something, uh, even though you can't own it, you can kind of prepare yourself by prayer before getting into that conversation. Uh, and then pray for a specific direction uh, when to have the conversation, how, I mean, even the little things where, uh, what's going on in their life, like that's a way that you can really love others and be responsible to others is going to them, to their side, you know, and considering like, all right, is this going to come? Is you, has your mother-in-law been out of the country for a year and now it's just a bad Saturday? You know, considering some of those things is really helpful, but praying about that and asking God to really direct that and how it happens um, use specific examples and then setting the boundary clear and firm. Uh, I use this uh, term uh, is like clarity over cuteness. We use it in my church just because I have a very creative associate pastor and he'll say things and I'm like, you're so nice. I think people may not hear that you just set a boundary. So go clarity over, like, I say cuteness, but it's really like creativity. Because a lot of times we try to soften it, and, and really being firm and clear will help both, uh, both people. And then uh, if you have, you know, it, seriously, if you have any concerns about how they will respond, either in a, in a physically or emotionally abusive way, um, then, you know, make sure that you have someone you can reach out to, someone who's, hey, I'm going to set this boundary with someone. I really don't think it's going to go well. Have someone who's kind of has your back or uh, even needs to be there physically with you, things like that, um, just to make sure that there's some kind of safety, accountability, things like that. It's more than more than okay to, to do that. So that's kind of like addressing boundaries on the back end when you're like, oh, shoot. Like, I got to do this with someone. It's, it's gotten bad, right? But in a picture-perfect world, they would actually start, this is your next blank, healthy boundaries start with open communication. If you can, on the outset of a relationship with someone, especially if you're going to be in a discipling relationship with someone, to clarify what boundaries look like, and if you're like, I don't think I should have any boundaries with people I disciple, then we should have another conversation after this. Because... <laughs> There are things that I thought as a good youth pastor that I should do. And, that, and one of those was I should be available 24-7 to my students. Mm -hmm. 
what? Why did I think that was a good idea? I was 22, so give me grace. But I just was like, there were things that I just did not establish. I made myself available to them at all times. If you have made yourself available to anyone besides your spouse and children 24-7, you should rethink that right now. <laughs> Definitely rethink that. But really starting on the front end of saying like, hey, like here's what our, here's what our relationship is going to look like. Here's the role that I feel like I can best fill in your life as I'm helping and coming alongside you, discipling you. This is what it's going to look like. And then to be able to just establishing that on the front end is so much easier than on the back end going, uh-oh, things have gotten bad and now I've got to like redirect a lot of what we're doing here. So um, and the, the other thing I'll just say, this is kind of like more of a sidebar because most of this is about boundaries for you. Um, but I, when we talk about boundaries and we're talking about vulnerable, hurting people, I think a really important side note is, is understanding the importance of physical boundaries. Um, for people who have, we do not know people's stories, okay? And so I know even in our residential program, there are some strong boundaries. Like we do not do full frontal hugs with the girls in the home. Even like the women in, on our staff do not do, that. that's not a thing. If you want to pray over somebody, then we ask. I do not put my hand on your shoulder to pray for you and like, unless I'm asking, are you okay with me? So some, some of us in the room, I'm looking at probably more often than not the women in the room just want to be all like touchy-feely and like hold people and, and it's like you just don't know what associations people have with certain things and what their stories have held so just be very aware of it especially if you're working with hurting vulnerable people that are working through lots of big issues you don't know what their story is and so just be very aware and cautious of any sort of like physical touch that's just an aside okay let's go back Oh, you got yeah 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 no my, my wife lo loves that point because she is not a hugger and she wants everyone to know that she's not a hugger. <laughs> and so it's just like a, I mean, that's a silly version of like, no, that's a boundary, right? Like we, we have them all over the place. People who aren't huggers, like legit, don't hug them. Yeah. <laughs> because I've just heard that before. We're like, I know you're not a hugger, but I am. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it. And I'm fine with hugs, but I'm just like, yeah. do I have a t-shirt that says that? I know you're not a hugger. That's amazing. That's great. In the 1970s, it was, I don't need a man. In the 90s, it was, I don't want a man. Today it is, what is a man? Better Man is a free resource for churches, men's groups, fathers, brothers, and husbands that helps men be the man God has called them to be. Built around the four W's, Better Man teaches that a real man courageously follows God's word. A real man loves and protects God's woman. A real man excels at God's work. And a real man betters God's world. Check us out and get everything you need to start your journey towards better at betterman.com. Uh, all right, so the next blank, um, develop referral files and establish coordinated care. Um, and so when you're, when you're really trying to help someone, uh, making sure that you uh, aren't just there by yourself. It's not just you being the soul. Like at the very, very beginning of the first session, we said you're not the savior. Right? And, and these are just ways to help, even in our flesh, that we would float towards being the only one for someone. The only one somebody can trust, I know we mentioned, the only one they can come to. And, and that it's, it is sort of an encroachment on a boundary. Uh, and so when you do coordinated care, having you know, two to three people, uh, just knowing the situation, being able to even follow up and support you with it. Hey, I know this is a tough situation. How are you doing with how they're doing? Uh, things like that are, are tremendously helpful. And um, 
you know, you can still keep a level of confidentiality and all those things, but, but basically not going it alone uh, and it being a team effort is really, really important. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love that one because you know if you are working with someone who is hurting or struggling and you know you're not the only person in their life, which please just don't, like just as he said, do not ever be the only person that is supporting someone who is on their own healing journey. There needs to be more than more than one person. That's just not going to be wise. But one of the things that I love about it is that, yeah, it promotes accountability. It, it you know prevents codependency, um, but it also enables you to simply turn your phone off at dinner with your family. Like the smallest things of going, like I do not have to be available to this person twenty four seven. They've got multiple people that they can reach out to. And hopefully, if you were at a session earlier, I've discipled them of how to hear from the Lord, and therefore they can always go to Jesus. Like, they have a relationship with the Lord, and so they are not going to be dependent on me being available to them at all times. Which leads me into the next one that I have to, like, internally calm myself down because I can get really riled up on this one. But prioritize your own family. Y'all, I don't know. I'm just, I'm personally tired of seeing kids who hate God because their parents were pastors and they just felt neglected their whole life and that the needs of other people always were over theirs. Brooke, who often does this workshop with us, she talks about her dad was a pastor and she was like, I felt so guilty because all I wanted was my dad to come to my basketball games that he had to go save people. And so I'm like, well, of course you got to go save people. I just want you at a basketball game, but I, I have to feel guilty about that because you're doing more. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just, that was not, that's like a crazy place for a kid to have to navigate. And so one of the things that I, um, I love to, I'm actually just going to do it with y'all because I think we have time. I would love for you at somewhere on your paper, somewhere you can find some blank space. Um, just write down if you are married, write down your spouse's name. If you've got children, write down your children's names. And then next to their names, Write down what your role is to them. Like, so I'll write down Pete, and I'm his wife. I'll write down Carter and Grant, and I'm their mom. So write those down. For those of you who are not married and do not have children, I also have a word for you. Because I, when I was on staff um, at a church for a few years before I worked at Mercy, I was single. I did not have husband or kids. And if there is one people group that can get the most taken advantage of in the church today, it is the young single adults. Because, well, you don't have to go put your kids down to bed. You can stay late, and you can pack the boxes, and you can do that, right? And so your, your life outside of ministry matters, okay? And so I just would encourage you that for, if you don't have family, don't make this sound as if, like, well, then you obviously don't have anything that prioritizes or trumps ministry, okay? Anyway. You've got, your, you've got your names down. I'd love you to look at that list and just ask the question, is there anyone, and I, you can answer it out loud, is there any person on planet Earth that can fill that role to those people? The role that you fill to them. Is there anybody on the planet that can fill that same role for them? No. Then I ask the question, because y'all are like looking at me like, what are you talking about? That would be a hard no. That's a hard no. Thank you. Okay, I was like, did I just confuse you? No. That's a no. Okay? There is no one on planet Earth that can be wife to Pete Wise. It's me. There is no one on planet Earth that can be mom to Carter and Grant. That's me. No one. No one else can fill that. Okay? All right. Now, I want you to use some other space, and I want you to write down every significant hat that you wear in your life. 
like it's your title at your job. Oh my, just overwhelmed y'all. Like, yeah. Uh, maybe it's your job title. Maybe conference attendee. You're a volunteer. You're a small group leader. You're a you know mentor. You're whatever. Anything that's kind of a significant hat that you wear. I want you to now look at that list and ask the same question. Is there anyone else on planet Earth that can fill those positions? Good job. Yes. 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 Lots of head nods. Yes, there are plenty of people. No one can be mom to Carter and Grant. No one can be wife to Pete. There are tons of people that could be the senior director of outreach at Mercy. There are tons of people who'd love to have that job, right? There are tons of people who could fill your position at your church, fill your volunteer positions, fill whatever hats you have, fill your job. There are plenty of people who could do that, okay? Now, are they running to the door to do it? Probably not. But there are people out in the world that could do those things. No one else can be who you need to be <laughs> to your family. And y'all, I went to a conference years and years ago. Does the Catalyst Conference even still exist? Catalyst? Oh, that makes me really sad. There's a, yeah, have you been to Catalyst? So it was, I mean, I guess, okay, I don't think it happens anymore, but it used to happen in Atlanta. Andy, Andy Stanley, uh, and uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It was a great conference there. I remember going to it one year, and there were like 12,000 pastors in this big arena, and okay. Andy Stanley was the first. Yeah. It does still exist. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still good. People don't know about it. Okay. I'm like, maybe it's not good anymore. Um, but I remember Andy Stanley went out there. It was the first session, 12,000 pastors and ministry leaders in this arena. And he said, some of you are here right now, and you have laid your family down on the altar of ministry. And the most important thing for you to do right now is get out of your seat, leave this conference, go get your bags, and go and spend the next two days with your family. You could have heard a pen drop in the room. We're like, who's going to get up right now? You know? <laughs> I have never forgotten the phrase, laid your family down on the altar of ministry. I'm like, heaven help me. And I have told people in my life, I love ministry. I love speaking. I love teaching. I love what I do at Mercy. It is my dream job. If I ever <laughs> even start getting close to laying my kids down on that altar, you better be at me. Like, you better be hard, okay? I will not sacrifice the discipling of my kids and loving my husband well for ministry because there's plenty of people who could do this job but no one else who gets to fill that so feel compassionate about that one and then the last one is this the last one on this page yeah. yeah at the end of the day establishing healthy boundaries makes us a safer helper so if you won't do it for yourself, please, for the love, just do it for the people that you serve and that you minister to, okay? It will make you a safer person for all the people that you help. And speaking of being a safer person, we're going to go into this piece on self-care. If you're like, blah, 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 I've heard about self-care all the time, just stick with us. Maybe we'll share something new. The probably most prevailing myth in the church today is what? If I take care of myself, I'm being selfish. Yes selfish but the truth is that safeguards and self-care number one increase increase our ability to love and care for other people building these things into your life actually allow you to have so much more to give to the people that you're serving do you think that the people that you're ministering to and discipling are getting the best of you when you are depleted at all times no like this is the best gift that you can give those that you serve the next one is that safeguards and self-care help to prevent burnout and compassion fatigue which if 
We always hear people like when we say that word, they're like, oh, that's what I'm feeling. <laughs> Compassion fatigue. So I worked with Linda back there in the corner uh, at Harpeth years ago, and um, so I, I share this story. <clears throat> uh, I first got into youth ministry, I was 23 years old, and uh, I got into it, and I was like, I'm just going to love these kids so well, I'm gonna just love, and I got to know them, and I started learning their stories, and I'm like, oh, I'm just like, and I'm thinking about them all the time, right? I'm going to bed, and I'm thinking about so-and-so, and what she's going through, I wake up in the morning, and thinking about this, and I'm like, oh, I just love these kids so much, like I'm just feeling all their things, carrying their stories with me. Fast forward about one year, and uh, JP, who was the other youth pastor there at the church, I went up to him and I was like, so I think I'm going to quit. And he was like, what? He's like, but you love this, and the kids love you, and you're doing such a great job. Like, what's going on? And I was like, well, I don't know what happened, but I think they stole my soul because... <laughs> literally, all of a sudden, I don't care about any of them. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Like, used to people would tell me their stories, and I was like, oh, and I'm just like, oh, and now they tell me, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I got nothing, you know? Like, I'm unmoved by them. And it was like the epitome of compassion fatigue. It is a very, very real thing. And so we want to set you up for longevity here. So having boundaries, having self-care that sets you up. I will tell you that magically, Linda, I don't know, was it you? Every time I teach this and someone at Harpeth is in the room, I'm like, did you do this? Because the next day I get to the office and the book Boundaries is sitting on my desk. And I was like, what is this? I've never heard of Boundaries. And then I read it and I was like, oh. I think it was an angel of the Lord that dropped that book. It was the next day in the office. Still haven't discovered who's, who left it there. But um, the last thing is that safeguards and self-care enhance our sense of value. They just, it's us coming into agreement with the Lord that we actually matter. And I just believe that the church has magnified this idea of like self-denial and self-sacrifice to a point that God never intended. He did not mean for us to walk around completely depleted all the time. And I think we just have kind of fallen into that. If I do something for myself, like that is not sacrificial. You know, that is not. So if you can't do for any other reason, do it for the people that you're serving. Like this will make you a healthier, better you for them, for your families, for everybody who cares about you. So um, I, I will actually read that quote because it apparently reads weird. I didn't read it the last one. And uh, I, I want to make sure that you guys understand what this quote is saying. This was actually by our uh, Mercy UK CEO. She's in the, uh, the UK. She went on vacation, literally just posted this on Instagram. And I was like, I'm stealing that, Ariana. She said, how comfortable you are with self-care is usually a reflection of your inner sense of self-worth and identity and a core revelation that his gift of grace means we can be, not do to be. Mm -hmm. that. Apparently, some people weren't able to read it that way, and they're like, not do what? I'm like, no, just not do to be. To be what? I'm like, no. So, I'm going to read it. You can just be. Just be. <laughs> no, do what? Like, that's what I mean. Just to be. It's um, like, <laughs> what um, So, literally. If, if all of those things don't convince you, just be, just be aware of the fact that, like, Jesus did it. He modeled it for us. There were so many times. Y'all, I am just now reading. I don't know if I'm way behind Abel in this one. I'm just now reading the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Good grief. 
oh, is it messing with me so much. And so much of what they talk about, Jean-Marc Coma wrote it, it is so good, and we'll rock your world. Um, but he talks about the lifestyle of Jesus. And like Jesus, he just wasn't in a hurry. Like you just look at the way, and he's just, and there were times where he was like, hey, I know all y'all people need me. I'll be back. Like, I gotta get away for a minute. Like, I gotta go spend some time. Like, and he just, he was present in the moment. Like, picking up, part of being a disciple of Jesus is even just picking up the lifestyle of Jesus. And part of that is retreating, getting away, taking care of your own self and body. And so, if, if none of those reasons convince you, Jesus did it. So, that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, and uh, so I just uh, had my first like sabbatical month off as a pastor, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, It's been about a decade, and it's like, wait, now I have to stop doing. And like, if you ever think pastors are any better at any of this, that's (laughs) none of y'all think that. We're like, we know. (laughs) We all are the worst. (laughs) Uh, But but so one huge important thing is just have friends and fun. That's that next point. Have friends and fun in your life, Uh, and and have people you can just be with. Oh, that was sweet. (laughs) Go to conferences. Just find excuses to go do stuff. Uh, I, I am. You know, I have three kids, pastor, uh, and like, to me, fun is like what happens when everything else is done. And so how often do you think that I'm, right? And so, so like, part of the challenge, which sounds, it, it, coming out of my mouth now, it sounds ridiculous. Maybe that's where you are. But it's like, you have to schedule in fun and leisure, otherwise, like, you're not going to do it. Oh, it's like, nope, that's what you earn by hard work. And it's like, <laughs> you will get burned out that way. And so having things you can do, people you know that you, don't, you can take all the hats off and, and be around and just be yourself is so important. And, and men, we are not good at this. The research is out there. We are really bad at it. And there's even like a syndrome, like, what, like middle-aged men who have no friends and no fun and all this stuff. So... We have a lot of room to grow. Uh, I don't know how many, like, hugging, you know. Uh, but, but it's just so important. And, then, and so part of that, a little bit, is know uh, that next point. Know what yeah, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing on yeah. top of that, too, because this whole having friends thing, like, if you can just think about the people that you consider friends in your life, I, it is so important to have people in your life where you don't always have to be the strong one. Like... Because I do think people who serve in any capacity in ministry or lead or disciple, they find themselves surrounded by people who need them, which is fine to have some of those. You've got to have people in your life where you get to be like, I'm not good. I need you to be strong for a moment. I need to be able to like, you have to have those people where you do not always have to be the one helping or being strong. Um, that's just a vital piece of that. So, yeah. It, it's weird. The people who I can do that with uh, almost exclusively are pastor's kids. Because I think they saw a parent grow up and they look at me as a human, not a pastor. Like, that's real hard. I don't know if how many pastors there are in the room, ministry leaders, but like, it, it, it's very, very true. Um, and then know what re-energizes you. And intentionally surround yourself with these things, people, and experiences. And so, like, you cannot have ministry be your life. It, it, 
it will take too much, there are too many people to help, and it will deplete you. There's just, we, we need limits. We are created with limits. And so knowing what re-energizes you and really scheduling that time out. And so a week ago, I flew to San Francisco, or I flew to Sacramento actually, and I had a Jeep Wrangler in college, and that was my car. And I promise you, for the last decade, I've been trying to get another one. But like kids, ministry, my, all those little factors, right? And my wife is like, you need one. I mean, I'm having dreams. I've, I've had dreams. <laughs> like, yeah, that's weird, okay? Uh, I finally got one. And like mm-hmm. what re-energizes me is to just go drive around. <laughs> and it's like, it, that's an expensive one. <laughs> It's not like a, it's my normal car. I go in and out, right? But like just me having to kind of get over, and I've talked to my wife about this. Like I feel really guilty doing this and having something that's that tangible. And that like, that's my mess. That's my (laughs) trunk and root system. If you hit the the last section, right? But, but it's finding things that energize. It could be weird. I never thought I would have gone to a movie by myself, like on a Wednesday. That really re-energizes me for some reason. And it just, it, like, and it took a lot. I had to work at finding what gave me life and what, you know, built me up. But it doesn't it have vital. to be, like, super spiritual. Oh, thing. Gosh. I think that's what's so important. Yeah. It's like, well, prayer, I hope, re-energizes you. Yes, you should pray. Like, reading, being in the Word, yes, of course. But, like, there are people who love gardening. I think it's the worst thing ever. But like, they're like, I just love getting my hands in the dirt. And I'm like, oh, that sounds awful. But go for it, you know? Um, there are people who love, like, one of her coworkers, after they sat through the session one time, they're like, I love canoeing. Like, you should go canoe. Like, go do. And what I think is so important that Marshall is saying is if you do not have it on your calendar, it will never happen. And you, you don't even have to know what you're going to do, okay? But on Mondays at 3, you can just have me time on the calendar, literally on your whatever. And so when then someone calls you and they're like, I had a horrible day, I need to get together, we need to talk. Can you get together at three? You're like, I have something on my calendar at three. You don't have to tell them it's me time, or you can, it doesn't matter. But like, you've got it blocked off and you protect it and defend it with your life, y'all. It's so important, it's so, so vital. So you've gotta plan for it and you've gotta you got to get it on the calendar as a, a recurring appointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and one of the ones that recurring appointments, uh, this next blank, take time to rest. And so I have a couple people who will be very kind of in my face about whether or not I will take a Wednesday off. I know what you're thinking. You were here yesterday doing all that, yeah. right? I'm about to go on vacation. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have Friday off. But I, I did that little calculation in my head because I've told people, you better make sure that I'm not sneaking into the office and, and working on sermon prep or anything like that. I need to schedule time to rest. Um, and so, like, uh, there's so many good resources on Sabbath. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Rich Velotis. He's a pastor in New York. He wrote a book uh, on uh, really about Sabbath and spiritual disciplines um, from like a big organization called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Either way, he he says uh, this on Sabbath, and he really talks about it as being grace, like understanding Sabbath and that word to stop, to kind of let God be God, and uh, and talking about it as grace. Uh, and I was like, grace? What do you mean grace? Like, it's rest. I thought grace was like God's free gift, of it, right? And so he, he it doesn't equate it, but talks about his grace because 
It's God doing something. God keeping everything sustained, keeping you sustained, keeping all that's going on, all that you're working together, and you are doing nothing. You're not bringing anything to the table, and yet God is still loving you. He's still controlling all time and history. He still has his hand over all the people you could be helping with that one extra day a week, or however you would define Sabbath. He says, Sabbath is not just rest from making things. It's rest from the need to make something of ourselves. And, and once I started seeing, like, enjoying rest as receiving God's grace, it, it just, something clicked, and it helped me. And, and so here's another uh, great quote from the book Margin by Richard Swinson. It says, God does not have to depend on human exhaustion to get his work done. God is not so desperate for resources to accomplish his purposes that we have to abandon the raising of our children in order to, to accommodate him. God is not so despairing of where we turn to next uh, that he has to ask us to go without sleep five nights in a row. Chronic overloading is not a prerequisite for authentic Christianity. Quite the contrary. Overloading is often what we do when we forget who God is. Um, and so just that idea of, of rest and actually taking it seriously and taking time to rest is, is huge. Also, the ruthless elimination of hurry is messing with me. Who has read it in the room? Because I've seen some of y'all. I know, some of y'all are like, yes. This Sabbath thing is messing with me. Like, I'm like, what are we doing? You know, I mean, he just talks about, again, God, God didn't just say, like, this is how you need to live your life. He's saying, like, this is the reality. If you live like this, it will be like this. So he's, he's literally saying you have... This Sabbath thing is about your soul and about your wholeness. Like, that's the reason. I didn't just randomly make up something for you just to stop working. It is for your good. And so remembering, and he talks about it. He's like, I just never believed him. I just never believed him. Like John Mark Comer, the author. He's like, and then I decided to just do it. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to Sabbath. Like, one day a week, we're going to do this. And he's like, now I'm like, what? what was I doing with my life? Like, how... Jesus was right. He's like, Jesus was right. <laughs> so now I'm like, well, shoot. Like, what am I missing out on? So I'm literally actively right now having conversations with my husband about what we're going to shift. Like, we, we're gonna, we got to shift. Like, this is not the lifestyle that I want to live. And so what are we going to do to start incorporating, like, legit Sabbath into our life? It's going to get crazy. I don't know. You got a one- and three-year-old. I'm like, what does Sabbath look like with toddlers? <laughs> anyway, it'll be great. Um, yeah, long nap. trusting God. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's move to this last page. So we've got a couple more minutes left. One, the next one is to recognize and meet your own needs. And we've said this in our other sessions, but... You can only take other people as far as you have come yourself. And so as you are working with others and your stuff comes up because it will come up, like please don't push your issues under the rug because you got to keep helping people. Like when the Lord is so good and gracious enough to help to, to allow some of your issues to rise to the surface, it's because he's going, hey, guess what? It's time to work on this thing. It's time. Like we all talk about healing being a process, an ongoing peeling back of the onion. And so when the Lord allows something to come up for you, you got to deal with it. And some of that actually might mean, hey, I've got to take a little break. 
because some things are coming up for me and I have got to go take care of that and address some of these things and start working through these things so that I can be healthier for the people I serve. Our founder and president had her own journey of that where she was running Mercy and things were growing and it was awesome. She's out speaking, traveling the world, literally. She had a friend, you all need this friend, right? Who's like, hey, you're not okay. You're not okay. And these things are coming up for you. And Nancy was like, if I stop now and go deal with this stuff, like what's gonna happen? Fast forward now 20, 25 years. And she's like, if I had not gone and done the work I needed to do on the stuff that was coming up in my life, I have no doubt that mercy would still be mercy. Like that's God's ministry. He would have kept it going, but I would not be in my post anymore. I would not be here. And so the importance of dealing with the things that the Lord brings to the surface in your life, it's just, it's vital for your health and definitely vital for all the people that you're serving and discipling. Um, And then these last two, one is the build a support network for yourself for accountability and prayer. We are talking about a, a, a number. Like, it doesn't have to be 50, okay? It could be, like, three, some people who have all access. We'd say carte blanche. All access to your life. They know it all. They are around all. And they, can, they have permission to speak into your life and to call you out. For the love of all things, it is very challenging to see these pastors who continue to grow and get bigger and bigger platforms. And as they get bigger and bigger platforms, their inner circle probably shrinks down to maybe nothing. And then something is coming. A fall is coming because they don't have anyone in their life who's calling them out and who knows everything that's going on. It's not just about having those people in your life. It's about them actually knowing what all is going on in your life. So then being part of your every day, they are in it and they have permission to call you out. Because I don't know what all you guys do. I don't know how big your platforms may become in the coming years. But for you to have that support network around you and never, ever, ever to not have. That's why Nancy Alcorn went and got the counseling she got. Because she had a friend who was close enough to be like, you're not okay. And I'm not letting you out of this. You are going to get counseling. Like That's what you're going to do. you know. And so you have to always have that uh, surrounding you. And then the last one is going to feel so elementary. But stay committed to your own personal spiritual growth. Guys, I don't know about y'all, but I know for me, many, many years, I mean, for even now, even now, it can be so easy for ministry to become my spiritual food, which is so absurd to say. But it's like, yeah, I mean, like, I think about God all day because I'm helping people all day, right? But yeah, I pray a lot because I don't know how to help everybody, right? Like, That is not a sustainable, healthy place for me to be. I have got to be connected to the vine. I've got to be nothing. I can do nothing apart from it, right? And so for us to prioritize our own walk with Jesus, separate from all the people we're helping, separate from our ministry, all the people we're discipling, my own walk with Jesus, what am I doing to pour into that on a regular daily basis? Because only from that place am I going to be able to serve and love well. Um, So uh, there's... John 15 about abiding and about staying connected to the vine is like one of my favorite scriptures. And there's an author by the name of Jenny Allen. I'm sure some of you guys know her stuff. But she wrote a book called Nothing to Prove that is so good. And she kind of rewrote uh, that, that passage in kind of her own words. And I just think it's beautiful. So it's there on your page for you to read at some point. Um, but guys, we're so thankful for you coming. I do want to make sure you guys know if you haven't been to our session, Everything that we've shared from our breakout sessions is a part of our Empower workshop that we do a couple of times a year here in Nashville. Uh, Our next one will be in November in a church in Franklin. So we have a link there and a code for you to get it super cheap 
for the next like 24 hours or so. Um, if you want to come to the whole thing, we would love to have you. Otherwise, enjoy the last session. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for listening to the episode. Like I said earlier, if you didn't listen to the previous three, I would highly encourage you to skip back and listen to those. There was some amazing stuff in there. Hey, make sure to check out betterman.com. They're this episode's sponsor. And as always, have a fantastic day. And I hope that you come back and listen to the next episode. See ya. In the 1970s, it was, I don't need a man. In the 90s, it was, I don't want a man. Today it is, what is a man? Better Man is a free resource for churches, men's groups, fathers, brothers, and husbands that helps men be the man God has called them to be. Built around the four W's, Better Man teaches that a real man courageously follows God's word. A real man loves and protects God's woman. A real man excels at God's work. And a real man betters God's world. Check us out and get everything you need to start your journey towards better at betterman.com.